Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's only one word that matters in business in the early days, and that is the word survival. Whilst you're alive, throw yourself 100% into whatever you do and make the best of this wonderful life that we all lead. Hello and welcome to the Boom podcast from Virgin Media Business. I'm Nikki Beatty and we're back for another episode of entrepreneurial tales, tips and advice from some of the most inspiring business people in the world. Now, whilst the Voom 2016 competition came to a close just a few weeks ago at the start of the summer, many of the businesses who took part are already feeling the positive effects and not just the winners. Later on in the programme, we'll be hearing from Sumi Wang from eFoldy, a runner-up in this year's startup category whose fold-down mobility scooter business has just been jump-started with a little Voom. But first, a very warm welcome to my guests in the studio today. I'm excited to be joined by two incredible British businesswomen and serial entrepreneurs, both of whom have been honoured with MBEs for their services to entrepreneurship in this country. So my first guest brings a CV that starts behind the counter at McDonald's, travels through investment banking to being the youngest ever person to float a company on the London Stock Exchange, age 29, on to conquering the car parking industry before turning to software and tech. And that's, by the way, just the abridged version. I'm in awe already. Welcome to Emma Sinclair, MBE co-founder at global software company Enterprise Jungle. Hello, Emma. Thanks for having me. Um, when I hear something like Enterprise Jungle, I wonder where... Sounds a bit wild, right? Well, either that or it's like, it's you know, there's something like quite devastatingly aggressive out there. Well, the jungle is a beautiful place full of discovery and opportunity and wonderful animals and uh, ecosystem and trees that we need. So I hadn't really thought about it that way, but really that's the name of the, the business and we build a lot of software products that give competitive edge to large enterprises. So I'm not sure that we're aggressive, although... It might be fair, seeing as it's an entrepreneurial podcast, to point out that I am a little bit competitive sometimes. Excellent. <laughs> I like that admission to kick off the show. Yeah. And joining Emma is another entrepreneur whose journey shares similar twists in direction. She started her working life in a hair salon when a chance meeting at the sinks, washing the hair of Italian PR guru Connie Filippello, blossomed into an opportunity. It wasn't until her first day at work that she realised she'd become assistant to the publicist for the likes of George Michael, Mariah Carey, and subsequently a hugely successful career in PR followed, all while studying at university part-time and raising her firstborn in tandem. Then in 2007, entrepreneurial instincts took her down a completely new path and inspired by her daughter, she opened a greetings card company, addressing the lack of cards for black, Asian or mixed race people on the market. Colourblind cards made history as the first of its kind to secure a presence in the UK high street, making an important impact and enjoying 
similar successes all around the world. Having since returned to PR, see what I mean about twists and turns, uh, as her main focus and starting her own agency, things have now come full circle. As alongside celebrities and brands, she now looks after other entrepreneurs too. A warm welcome to Jessica Huey, MBE of Jessica Huey PR. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. So if I were to try to put a theme to this show, I think perhaps superwomen would be a very good start because you have both achieved so much in such a range of different settings and in the very early days of your career, much more than we assume people would ever do by the time they're 30, for example. So do you think that that sense of being able to be flexible, to turn your hands to different things and seize opportunity has been key to your successes? Emma, I'll come to you first. I think unequivocally that's been a key to the success because when you start a business quite often you don't exactly know what it's going to become and I can certainly say for all of the businesses that I've had that exactly what I anticipated, the story I had in mind, the business plan that we wrote, the ambitions that we had, even though the size of the ambitions might be the same, the exact nature of the business was never exactly what I anticipated, whether it was parking or whether it's now software or really almost anything I do, you have to have an open mind and you have to be able to pivot and you have to be able to adjust. So I think seizing opportunities is absolutely key along with optimism and general dynamism and and drawing from every experience you've ever had in order to make the most of that opportunity. So having worked, whether it was in McDonald's, then bars, then a bridal shop, then banking, then parking, you know, there's been um, quite a career path. But throughout that, there have always been similar lessons in each, which is you have to be focused on sales, you have to be focused on customer service, you have to always, you know, be very ambitious with your goals, but also be realistic and deliver your work on time. The message is the same, I think, in whatever it is you're doing. And have you ever found it difficult to make those pivots? Because you've done it, you've done it hugely successfully, and you can tell the story very dynamically now. But have there been points where you thought, whoa, what am I doing? Where are we going? I don't think there's anybody that I know who's built a business that doesn't behind closed doors and sometimes, you know, right out in the open say, I really am not quite sure what's happening here. You know, what the hell am I doing? Mm. You know, there are days when I say that to myself 20 times a day. It's just I I might say it quietly because quite often you're doing something you haven't done before or you're presented with a... It doesn't matter how many times you've built a business. Every time you do it is as, as exciting, but there are risks involved and you never necessarily know what the outcome is. So I quite frankly have days where I ask myself, you know, I ask myself, how am I going to manage to do that or what on earth is happening regularly? Jessica, what about you? The same question. Is it that sense of being flexible and being able to turn your hand to different things and seize those opportunities? Is that what Absolutely. I mean, I'd love to be able to sit here and say that I had this very deliberate business plan, which I followed, you know, but it didn't work like that. I've always, with both my businesses, um, you know, with Colourblind, it started, it was pure spontaneity. I felt passionate and sort of really inspired by this opportunity um, from finding that the, the high street was really lacking in diversity and wasn't representative of, you know, the society that we live in. And I felt strongly about it on a social level, but then also saw a commercial opportunity. Um, so it wasn't thought out. I, I hadn't actually planned on going into business, but just felt really compelled. Mm. And then with the PR, that was just really driven by me not wanting to be told that I could only have three weeks holiday a year. So it was always sort of personal motivators that really, I guess, drove me first. And the business was almost secondary. So is it a trait? Is it an instinct, do you think? I mean, where does this come from? First of all, the ability to take that leap and go for it. Secondly, to actually persevere. I I guess so. I mean, I think, again, like Emma, I I can recall 
having, I guess, what would on reflection be sort of signs of leadership skills, even as a kid, when I'd be rounding up the sort of younger children in the playground and sort of forcing them to do performances and things. But so I think it's part of my character, but also just wanting to be in control as a mum and as a young mum, I had to really be very, you know, I became a mum at gosh, 17. So I really had to take my destiny, if you like, into my own hands. Um, because otherwise the, the it was all quite bleak. Um, and so I guess that's just continued. And once I realised I could really make a major life shift, that almost became addictive. And I kept realising that actually, if you have an idea and you work hard and, you know, you do the research and you surround yourself with the right people, then you can realise it. And that became sort of a sort of a buzz. That's kind of experience in hindsight, though, isn't it? Which is, mm. of course, after a while, you start to know what you're capable of and you've, you've done it once or twice. So it becomes infinitely less scary because I think we can all think back to that moment where we we did something that started to pushed us in the direction we've taken now. When was our first entrepreneurial step? When, when was yours then? Well, I mean, you can go back as far as you like. I mean, I, I honestly would hold accountable most of my success and or certainly the personality traits I needed um, to my father. And from the age of four, he drove me to school. And every morning after we finished doing the times table and how many red cars did you see and the other sorts of games that you play when you're kind of small and in the car... My dad used to have the Financial Times delivered to the house and he had a couple of hundred pounds in a few of the utility stocks that had privatised. So I, one of my earliest memories is trying to grapple with the Financial Times when I was obviously half the size of the paper. Turning the page was like the hardest thing I could possibly do. And I used to read my dad his stock prices every morning. That was just a thing that we did. So I genuinely think that the reason that I don't feel that the London Stock Exchange is an ivory tower that I don't understand began with reading my dad a couple of stock prices in the morning because that was just like this fun thing we did every day. How What a wonderful story. Emma, you've built a number of different companies and in your own words, could you, and very briefly, explain how you got from investment to parking to where you are now in tech. I mean, you haven't planned this, you've already said that, but how did it jump like that? I think looking back, it's easy to tell a very clear story. Well, I did this, then I did that. And then I came out of that and made a lot of money. And then I went into the next thing. It's just never that clear cut. The best way to describe it is every time an opportunity came up, it suited the time and the place um, and the mindset that I was in. Much like you said about being in a hairdresser and, and, mm. and grabbing an opportunity mm. from someone whose hair you're washing. For me, you know, I was in finance. That is how I, um, after I left university, that was my first graduate placement and my first sort of really professional job and after a, about six or seven years I had some I had some ambitions to build something for myself I wanted to create some flexibility for myself if I had a family I wanted to build something of my own and I took the view that if for some reason I failed and at this point I was 27 if for some reason I failed I would possibly accrue some debt I might have a bruised ego mm. I'd have to hunt out a job in a third-rate company because I might not have done so well over the last few years but that was the worst that could happen so I left with big ideas um, and, and a fair amount of risk and I took my you know my first opportunity came as a result of staying in touch with people you know connectivity the digital economy um, and, and building networks you know I'm a good example of that I met people over the years who said to me if you ever leave banking if you're ever looking for something else to do if you are ever you know, make sure you stay in touch. And I went to speak to a lot of people. And the way that my first business effectively started was talking to a lot of people about their business and them saying, you know, we don't want to float our company on the stock exchange. We're not the best at finance. We're not the right people to necessarily talk about building a business publicly, but that's something that you're very good at. So we'd be interested in, in investing our business in something that you built. 
So what advice would you give entrepreneurs listening to this podcast now about being that agile? Um, I think that we're all built for different things. So first of all, you have to bear in mind what your skill set is. And I learned at an early age. I was always a very, you know, I had my five stars at McDonald's. I was always looking when it was like... Sorry, what do you have to do to get five stars at McDonald's? Well, I can't entirely recall, but I'd like to think back fondly and say that I obviously make an awesome Big Mac and... um, I'm really good at making fries fast. I, I was always put on the tills, though, which I think was maybe an early numbers, sign of business. Go, I was always transacting fast. And then I, wor- I worked at a, at a bar at university and in my summers where you know you had uh, a little bit of an incentive to make sales. So I definitely remember looking at the margins on the beer and being clear on that sort of thing. I know you, I'm speaking aloud and wondering you know, where, where on earth I got these things from. But you have to learn about sales. If you're going to build a business, you can have the best products in the world, but you have to be able to sell them. Well, that's really good advice. So any tips that you have, Jessica, for entrepreneurs in terms of being agile and looking for the opportunities? You've both spoken about taking opportunities. What advice would you give? I think in terms of looking for opportunities, for me personally, I've always found that I don't get excited about anything which doesn't really align with my personal values. So even the people that I represent in PR, I realised early on that actually I could make a lot more money a lot more quickly if I compromised my values um, and realised I couldn't. There were situations I went into, partnerships I made, which were very exciting, um, but learn, thankfully, quite quickly that it wasn't a, a compromise I was willing to take and once I, I realised that, I was able to sort of make a shift and really stand, I guess, in my own integrity. But it did change the space of public relations that I was working in and opened up a new world of entrepreneurs um, and, and pe- really some really inspiring people who built businesses that they believed in, that had a social impact. Many of them are still commercial businesses, um, but I found that really leaves me feeling excited. And every time I speak to a journalist, I can be really very genuine in representing them. So I think for me, my advice would be make sure that it's something which really resonates with you, that you will continue to feel passionate about and continue to feel comfortable sacrificing the time and the sleep, certainly in the early days, that's required when you're building a business. I might actually add something that's a bit more generic than the last answer, which probably is a better answer as well. So in terms of absolutely critical advice, it's be good to people on your way up Mm. and treat everybody how Mm. you'd like to be treated yourself. My father always said to me, treat everybody that you meet on your way up very well because A, you might need them on your way down and B, that's your network. And unequivocally, the thing I can think back to is that at every stage of my life and my career, some of the people I've interacted with are people that I've met absolutely years ago Mm. in circumstances where I didn't necessarily need anything from them, but I was just quite good at keeping in touch. And I think it's absolutely key is to just build your network because you need friends as you're building a business. It's either lonely or it's challenging or there's a piece of advice that you need from somebody and it's Mm. just Good to build relationships early. That, and just to add to that, the same applies. I think just as your career evolves as a business person, so do those people that you've interacted with earlier. So mm-hmm. lots of the people that have become clients or contacts are people that I worked with in a completely different capacity 10, 15 years ago in some cases. And they remain my network. And as I've grown, they've grown. And you have a beautiful sort of black book and if, also, if you nurture those relationships. And you're bringing people up with you as well, which sure. I think is the great thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got a lot of uh, male and female friends that we've just pulled each other up. Mm. as we've built our businesses and I don't think that in order to succeed that means you have to push anyone down. So there's no cutthroat element to it there's actually a kindness to it. Well I think that you can be competitive and also be kind I mean I like to excel at everything I do I will happily say that you know that's um, part of 
delivering well on a business is representing yourself well and representing your business well but I don't think that that needs to come at the cost of um, behaving badly and I also yep. very much believe that we should all do things like pay it forward every day and random acts of kindness because we spend a lot of time especially if you own a business building a business what have you paid forward today well, I'm going to pay it forward by giving you something when we finish this interview, actually. Well, I think giving us the interview is paying it forward, don't you? <laughs> yeah, my time. Yes. You know, and and your expertise and insights, both of you, to everybody. Just listening. rocking it up. <laughs> just, just coming is paying it forward. I like that. Just turning up is paying it forward. It that's, is. Just In show so up. That's it. I no longer have to actually pay it forward. It's just I've done my good. I just need to show up. Yeah. Jessica, one of the things we talk about on this program a lot is pitching entrepreneurs, mm. pitching for investment to suppliers. The Voom competition is itself essentially a giant pitching and PR exercise. Mm. So there are obvious parallels here with what you do in PR. Do you think that gave you an edge when you launched your businesses then, particularly mm. Let's talk about colorblind cards. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, it was because I think when I host my workshops around the country and at the British Library, the first lesson, the first step for anyone that's going to consider that perhaps isn't in a position to go and hire a PR agency from the off is you have to understand what your hook is. You know, what is it that makes you newsworthy or your business newsworthy or your brand newsworthy? And once you understand that, and, and often it's difficult to know when you're in your business because your PR pitch is very different to your sales pitch. You know, your PR pitch is all about the why. It's all about the human interest story, you know, what your inspiration was, what and your vision was, is. And for you, it was your daughter. It was my daughter. And it was also that, you know, there was a very strong human interest story. And of course, you know, as a PR, I was able to recognise what those ingredients were, draw them out and really package that into quite a strong PR story, which definitely helped. So then what's the sales pitch? I mean, it depends who the customer is, because the customer sometimes was the stockist. The customer was sometimes a direct, you know, direct sales through the Internet. Mm. It, it really depends. But I guess across the board, the fact that there was no one else really doing it on any serious scale. So it gave us a really fantastic opportunity at that time. And we, you obviously knew how to shape your message which is a really important That's thing you it. learn as you get older, which yeah. is, you know, know your audience and, mm. and speak to your audience as opposed to sort of talk at your audience, no. which I think is what a lot of people that are pitching or doing an elevated pitch often do. They just sort of have a very generic, almost cold vanilla pitch. And really, you have to connect with someone immediately. And that is something that comes from understanding who your audience yeah. is. Very, very good advice. So, Emma, you've managed to build companies very quickly. Having a good product or service obviously helps. Uh, how have you approached building up your client base? Have there been particular hurdles and, and lessons that you've learned? Because this business is different from the other ones that you've had. It is, but I think that our message or the message in all my businesses is quality. Mm. I think if you have something that people need that provides them with competitive edge or fills a void that they didn't have before that makes their business run better, then actually it's quite a... I really believe that that's a message that you can easily communicate to people. You need to give you need examples, you need flagship customers, but I always think that you rely on the quality of your business. In terms of communicating with customers now and obstacles and challenges, I mean we have a global business. One of the challenges is that it's a 24-hour world mm. and the team is spread across the globe, but we have customers in every continent and we'd like to be very proactive and we like to be extremely responsive. And as a growing business, I can for us and I can imagine many of your lis listeners and people that are pitching, that's very tricky. 
How can you be on your game all of the time whilst also getting, quite frankly, some sleep, which is the other imperative when you're building a business. You have to be healthy and occasionally sleep and eat well in order to be able to perform like that. So do you actually manage your life and ensure that you get a certain amount of sleep, even if it's at odd times of the day? And I know before we even began the podcast, we talked about your exercise regime. So I know that you're fiercely fit and healthy. What do you do about sleep and rest? Well, one of the things that I have learnt from experience is that you can't build an empire if you don't have your health. And health is something you simply can't purchase or outsource like you can with so many other services about your business. So I am really mindful and often talk a great deal about the importance of eating well, getting some sleep. I am the first person who understands the challenges of building a business and sometimes that it's 24 hours and around the clock and you can't rest. But you also can't build your business if you're ill and you're not feeling good. So I live a very healthy lifestyle. I am vegan. Um, I tend to exercise in the morning if I can, at least sort of three, four days a week minimum. If nothing else, to just have a little bit of time where my phone is not attached to my hand and I'm not reading every email like my life depends on it. So do you take a data sabbatical at some point? Do you take a holiday, a digital detox? You I'm, should see her face, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I mean... It was like a bad smell went under her nose. It was like something you said that I was allergic to. Yeah. It, would be, it would be fair to say that I'm not the world's best candidate for long-term digital detox. But I will, as any entrepreneur will do, be able to kind of justify or provide some context that makes that realistic. I do have peaks and troughs in terms of my work-life balance. And often I can be somewhere or do something exceptional that's unrelated to my business if I'm able to stay in touch. So one of the wonderful side gigs that I have is that I am a business advisor to UNICEF. And to be able to take time out for five days to go to Zambia in the middle of nowhere or Malawi in the middle of nowhere is, is not a luxury, but I do actually have a job and I've got responsibilities and there are things that I need to do that need to keep the wheels turning effectively by having my phone and being able to keep in touch what it does mean is that I can keep things moving whilst I'm somewhere doing something else so I feel like technology actually for me does um, does help yes I do do my best to put it down when I'm with my family or if I'm on a holiday you know I don't do yoga with my telephone underneath my nose in case you were wondering but I'm not always the best at switching off if I'm being honest but it's just between us of course <laughs> Jessica do you are you vegan it's just I'm not vegan no but again I it's, it's a similar oh, we've got, we've got half similar. an hour for me to work on you <laughs> I'm very planet. open I'm very open because again I've experienced it I think particularly in my 20s I didn't have that balance it was all consuming I'd be up at five and mm. I'd be on the computer till sort of one in the morning ridiculous and, and there's only so long that you can continue to work at that pace and you also don't work at your best. You don't make the best decisions. You don't think creatively. It's important to take time out and you are much more productive and you see things more clearly and make much more rational decisions when you look after yourself. So, you know, I've, even my exercise regime has changed. In my 20s, it was very much kind of cardio and body pump. And now that once I hit 30, it's kind of yoga. Breathe. It's all about yoga. When well, you've got Breathe. to get oxygen to your brain that's and, you know, it. it is one of those things. Consciously breathing yeah. is actually something that's incredibly important. And you spend your, you know, like with you, I spent much of my 20s at a desk working hours that were just incredulous mm. and if you don't get some fresh air and take a moment to breathe you absolutely as you say you're, you're not working at your optimal performance no, you have to see the seasons change <laughs> and it's pranayam all the way everybody <laughs> well on the subject of launching and building a brand one person deep in that process is sumi wang a finalist in this year's boom competition here she is to explain her business and invention e-foldy 
Hi, I'm Sumi Wang, the founder of eFoldy, and I'm also the co-inventor of this great invention. eFoldy is basically folding magic. It is a suitcase, but in three seconds, you can change it to a scooter, which can take you anywhere you go. It can also be folded to a chair for you to take a rest in your long journey. Originally, eFoldy was only invented for my father, who accidentally broke his leg. And we were trying to find a tool which could bring him easily to travel around. When we were looking for a mobility scooter on the market, we were trying to find something we could easily pack it into the car boot and we could take it into the flat because my parents were living on the 11th floor. They were in Beijing, in the busy area, but we couldn't find any. They were really big and chunky. Um, being an inventor himself, and my dad has been inventing big stage prototypes for more than 40 years. So this was the first time he said, okay, I'll try to design something for myself. And that's how Ifodi was born. Now my dad has already recovered. He can walk, but now with Ifodi, he just gets really lazy and he doesn't really walk to just use Ifodi whenever he goes. I was working for Queen Mary, University of London, as a technology transfer manager until about two years ago. Unfortunately, just one day when I woke up, I just found the whole world was spinning and I was throwing up. It's just something made me have this vertigo and I couldn't move. I couldn't open my eyes. That was the worst day in my life. And it took me about two years to get back to normal. And thinking back, it was a good time for me to reflect my whole life and the purpose of the life and what I would really prefer doing. Uh, coincidentally, it's around the same time, you know, I was having the vertigo, I was lying in bed and my dad had an accident. Um, of course, we built up the first Ifodi just for him. At that time, we didn't think we were going to build the second one. He didn't think of bringing to the market. It only when I kind of came back from the, the terrible two years, yeah, I just thought that if there are more people can see Ifodi can benefit their life, can help them around, can help them enjoy their traveling, then... Um, I should try to see whether I could bring that to life to help those people. To be honest, I didn't know about this womb competition until the beginning of April. When I was at Gaji Show Live, we were invited there as one of the finalists for um, the British Invention of the Year. And to our biggest surprise, we actually won. And when we were there demonstrating our previous prototype, there were people saying, oh, um, have you heard of womb competition? And uh, that's the, you know, the first time I heard about it. And the more I looked into it, the more I realized this is just perfect for Ifodi. I think we joined just about a couple of days before the deadline. But now thinking back, I was so lucky that we did it. And um, the uh, crowdfunding campaign running alongside Boom on the crowdfunder platform, that was extremely helpful. Through there, we got a lot of feedback from our backer. They pledged, they helped us to develop the product. And from there, we realized this isn't really just for people having disabilities. There were commuters saying, you know, they could leave their 
car at home now, and that's how we design eFody to fit their needs. When I got the phone call saying that I was in the Vroom final, I was really over the moon. At that point, for me, either winning it or not is not really that important. Kind of at the beginning of scary, have the spotlight when I was, you know, dragging Ifodi onto the stage and I was on the ramp. But when uh, I finished my pitch, that two minutes, and when the judges started to ask questions, I think. When they only just look Ifodi as a suitcase, they couldn't really picture how this gonna be a scooter to help people. And when I started to fold, I could see and also hear people were saying, "Wow, you know, have those sound." And when Sir Richard was asking, "Oh, where actually you put your feet?" and when I show him how we folded cleverly just beside uh, the, the the wheel. And he just say, "Oh, drive off!" And I think, "Oh, great!" And、um, the audience was like, "Wow, yeah!" Even we didn't win, we still feel we are so proud. And the whole process of Vroom has really brought us so much. Now it's already a month after the Vroom competition, and we have got inquiries from all over the world. Now we are very confident we will deliver the product on time. And the next stage would be actually trying to see how we could benefit from taking in all the feedback from the potential user, and then to develop the next stage. And by the end of this year, you will see Evody in a lot of shops here in the UK and hopefully all over the world. That was Sumi Wang, founder of eFoldy and a finalist in the Voom 2016 competition. While she wasn't a winner per se, her business has certainly been given a boost by the experience. And what a great product! Welcome back now to my guests in the studio: Jessica Huey, founder of Jessica Huey PR, and Emma Sinclair, founder of software disruptor Enterprise Jungle. So, when you start a business, or indeed when you're in the thick of it, there are a lot of things to juggle. We've touched very briefly on family life. Jessica, do you have any top tips for getting a balance and staying on top of things? It's getting a balance is something which I, you know, it's it's a learning, it's an ongoing learning process, and things change. I mean, my. My dad passed away six weeks ago. Oh, I'm、um, so sorry. Thank、yeah. you.、Um, but it, you know, I was really fortunate that I, and I had to actually take a moment just to realise how fortunate I was that I could really put almost put everything down. I mean, I still, a bit like Emma, on holiday, had my phone and laptop in the hospital waiting rooms at times. But I was able to be there for him all the time, and you know, that's the beauty of being in business for yourself. But it's taken me a while to get to that stage. Sometimes I will stay up later. Sometimes I will. Wake up three hours earlier than the kids because that's what's required, and it means that I can then spend the day during a summer holiday going out and doing the Shrek tour as we did this morning. So you adjust and you're flexible in terms of what's needed at that time. So you've both made the point that having your health and and being fit and getting enough rest so that you're not getting ill keeps you on top of things. Anything else that anybody listening can hold on to and think, right, that's a great tip. That's great advice. Say, one of the things I've learned as I've got older, and it's not just age, but it's also experience, is I've learned to say no. That is a really important lesson. I still struggle with it because I'd like to think that 
I am a nice person. I remember when I started my business and if someone writes me a really punchy tweet or an amazing LinkedIn message and every now and then you're captivated and you know the spirit of that person, (laughs) it makes me want to meet them because people took the time out to do good things for me and I really believe in entrepreneurial karma and karma in general. But learning to say no is very important and learning how to say no is very important. I'm going to stay with you, Emma, because your tech and software business, Enterprise Jungle, is built around the idea of creating problem-solving applications that use data to give companies an advantage. Could you unpack a little of what that means and how you go about that? Yeah, I mean, if I was to make it relevant to everybody that has a business, the bottom line is is that we collect data all day long and how can we use it and apply it in our daily lives or to our businesses to give us a competitive edge, to give us some unique insights that we didn't have before, to allow our businesses to run better or faster or more intelligently. An example would be our first product that we're scaling at the moment, which is called Alumni Management. It's a fully integrated alumni management platform. What does that mean? In this day and age, if you work for a very large organization, how do you stay in touch with alumni? Quite often it's just an email group or it's just something on a social network and there's no sort of rhyme or reason to it. Whereas large corporates have enormous challenges with human capital management, finding talent, as we all do in small businesses, so do you in very large businesses. How do you find the best person for the job? So, for example, our alumni tool allows you to find your alumni who are appropriately suited to roles and responsibilities that might be available in your business and recruit them and engage with them and keep up-to-date data. One of the things about technology now is you can keep up-to-date pools of data instead of having these huge data lakes, as they're called, of data that no one can do anything with, all these sort of silos of information. In the old days, I think of it like my chest of drawers. I have all these wonderful things at home in my chest of drawers, all these books and notes and all these notes I made from conferences and these quotes that people gave me, Mm -hmm. but they're sitting in a drawer. And they're in the drawer on the left or in the drawer upstairs. And then I've got some in the kitchen. You know, you've got stuff everywhere. And the wonderful thing about the cloud technology is actually what you can do is you can harness all of that data and you can put it all in one place and keep it up to date. So, Emma, with all the insights you have, tell us a little bit about how someone goes about scaling their business. One of the things I've learned over time is it's wonderful to come up with an entrepreneurial idea at your table and something you can sell to one person or 10 people or 100 people. But one of the things that's really important for Britain and one of the things that's really important for entrepreneurs of any age and size is to think about scale. How can you get bigger faster? How can you build a business of value? How can you build a business that can employ more people? So one of the things that I put my mind to in my software business or anything else that I'm doing is how can I escalate the message? How can I build something that I can reach people in Australia, in America, in Germany. We have clients in all continents. For me, I built SaaS software. I built software where somebody can press a button and download our product on their desk. And that is the beauty of the cloud. And I think one really important message for everybody listening is if your idea doesn't resonate with a large crowd, it doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have a product. Maybe you've got something you can pivot with. But it's really important to think about the next step, to think about how you're going to grow. Are you going to be national? Are you going to be international? Who are your customers? Start big. And I really, one of the messages and one of the things I think that I impart when I talk to people is to think big. Mm. Because you learn as you get older Mm. to think bigger. Mm. And and that's just, and I'm unapologetic for that. I wish I did. (laughs) As I get older, I think smaller and smaller. Have there been. I don't believe that. 
Have there been any memorable hurdles uh, for you or any of your clients, Jessica? Oh, gosh, yeah, for clients, loads. <laughs> no, I mean, none of you, though, no, of course. <laughs> you've had no hurdles. Plain sailing. Yeah. Yeah, no, of course. There's been lots of really embarrassing, in fact, no, not embarrassing, um, expected hurdles because I had no business acumen when I started my business. And unlike Emma, I didn't have a dad that, you know, used to bring home the FT. I came from quite a different background. Um, an equally committed dad who used to get us to, he used to sort of recite these um poems all about success and determination and perseverance but he was a minicab driver so he didn't have that skill my set dad started in a menswear shop love that great mm-hmm. so you know i had to learn on the job and um and therefore made some real rookie errors for example when i started colorblind the mission was all about getting these cards in the high street because that was where you know we were going to make the most impact um so just went and printed thousands and thousands and thousands of cards just expecting to sell them all in one go before we had the order and later on you know started to understand about print on demand and just the ways of you know distribution but just some very basic errors um also printed the wrong shape for america without having having done my research properly and then discovered that actually there's a bigger cost of postage if your cards are square in the States, which then meant we lost our distribution for a while. So also it comes down to research and really, you know, (laughs) really just knowing your market. And probably anyone that says that they haven't made errors is just simply lying in my experience. Oh, I expect the errors. I expect Mm. a good story to come with it. So it's your turn, Emma. Well, I think the, the, the lesson in all one's failures is to fail fast. So I think that I I can honestly say that I fell on a very regular basis, but either do it very quietly or do it very quickly. Because if you fail fast, the important thing is that it doesn't cause much damage. And then it also, um, you know, you apply it to your lessons. In many ways, in our software business, we rapid prototype. We build very quickly, which is quite unusual for enterprise software. What that means is that we haven't spent two years building a very tricky product that nobody wants. I'm a really big believer for any business in something called Sell Design Build, SDB. That is effectively doing your research and selling what you're planning on selling before it's really ready. Now, I understand that sounds a bit risky, but ultimately, if you know where you're going and you know what you're doing, but it needs a few tweaks, I think it makes a lot of sense to identify your customer and ask him or her what it is they would genuinely be willing to buy because then you're building something that is market ready and it saves you a lot of those hurdles. So I learned that in earlier years and now I think that I apply those, but you know, there are daily failures which, um, which you know, I brush under the carpet quietly. Fast and quietly. Yes, fast and quietly. <laughs> Well, that's nearly it for this episode. A couple of really quick questions to you both to close the show. What's the most fulfilling part of your job, Jessica? Unquestionably, it's speaking to other people, um, to other, not necessarily just young, but other people who are starting up and, and being able to share my the little bit of knowledge and information that I've, I've, I've shared with them and help them on their own journey. Um, yeah. Emma? I think that my life has been infinitely more exciting and interesting than I could ever have anticipated. And I feel like I'm still pretty young and got some way to go. So for me, it is the people that I meet, probably in a slightly different capacity that you mentioned, but the people that I meet that I learn from and sit next to who I ordinarily, if I had followed a very traditional career path, wouldn't necessarily have been sat next to on a panel or at a dinner. But having you know, being perceived as having achieved some interesting things, I get plonked next to the guest of honour or I'm on stage with someone really interesting. And that is one of my absolute favourite things, along with having a voice.
that is a powerful and special gift. And I know that you've only met each other today, but you know a little bit about each other's businesses. If you were to sit in each other's chairs for a day, is there anything that Gosh. you... Yeah. It's a good question. Any, yeah, but it's, it, you know, it's an immediate visceral reaction I want. Anything that you can see yourself doing in Emma's shoes, in Crumbs. Emma's position. Well, I'd have to go and do this. I'd have to go and learn. <laughs> I think I'd feel oh. completely out of my depth. Not at all. Probably get on and, I don't know. Gosh, what would I do? It's a very a hard question. Question, isn't question. It? Emma, Emma, put yourself over in Jessica's shoes. Well, for me, the thing that I would wonder or contemplate about PR mm. is the um, you know the longevity of customers, the security of income, and also when you're not there, do people always want to speak to you? So I guess my question would be: long term, is that the goal? Because can you service PR customers in your sleep? No. And uh, thankfully, um, you know, I've got to a stage where I'm not hands on with operations. Um, but I think I'm in transition anyway. I think, you know, I'm at a stage sometimes I think life throws things at you. Things change. And I, I think I'm at the start of a new venture. Um, not to say that I won't continue with JHPR because you know I'm very happy and I enjoy working with wonderful people contributing great things. But I think it's time for a new challenge. Oh, my so. goodness. What's it going to be then? I don't know. Watch this space. Oh, wow. Great. We'll leave everybody on a cliffhanger. Do we get 25% each? Because we were here <laughs> when you thought about it. Oh, such I'm a I'm in charge of the negotiations here I love this. I love this. Um, and Emma, one final question to you, serial entrepreneur. I want some advice. <laughs> um, I I'm need some. It go. Um, do advice. you want to give advice? Do you have any? If you Gosh, don't have any, don't well, worry. Yeah, if you do, no, I, I, do. Might, I, I want to know. I think my advice for Emma would just simply be, uh, we should we should hear more about you. I think you should be more visible. Um, I, 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 I've you. known about you for some time, as I said, not just through you know personal relationships, but also um, I'm pretty sure I've been in the audience when you've spoken before. I've heard about your success. And more people need to know what you've done and how you do it. And I, it's, it's, it's great that you're... Yeah, I think we should have the answer. It's a very kind thing to say. Mm. And the final question, Emma, to you. When will you be satisfied? Well, I don't know. I was going to see with what, but I presume this is a very broad and philosophical question, as I would expect from a podcast like this. It's about serial entrepreneurship, and therefore, will you ever be satisfied? Will you ever settle and stop? Or will you just keep working and That's almost a loaded question, because it's assuming that I'm not satisfied. Yes, that's true. And I think what I would say is I am naturally ambitious, like most entrepreneurs. It's clearly in my DNA, and having been let loose in the world of entrepreneurialism, you know, I'm quasi- unemployable now anyway Um, in terms of satisfaction I think as you grow you learn more and that means you want to in many ways depending on who you are you want to do more so as I learn more I learn that there is a power and an influence and a shaping of the world that you're living in that comes with having a powerful voice and that is something that I don't think I'll ever tire of so I think I'm always going to be Hungry for intellectual stimulation. I love business. I will unashamedly say it is my favorite hobby. If I sit next to two people, I love to listen to a person tell me the story of how they started or where they got their first idea. Or if I sit next to someone and they've just won a a piece of really important business, I get the high that they're feeling. So it's kind of in my blood. But there'll be so many other ways, hopefully, that I can apply that excitement going forward. (laughs) Fantastic. Jessica Huey, Emma Sinclair, thank you so very much. 
Thank you to my guests. And remember, to find out more about Virgin Media Business's Voom campaign, head to vmbvoom.com or on Twitter using the hashtag Voom at VM Business. And you can also check out more about eFoldy and all the businesses who took part in the 2016 Voom campaign at vmbvoom.com. Also, watch out for exciting announcements about the 2016-2017 competition in the coming weeks. But for now, from me, Nikki Beatty, and the Voom podcast team, goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.